After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said his farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through these regions, he had given each encouragement. He came to Greece. There he spent three months when a plot was made against him by the Jews. As he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Potter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone, had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with the team a long while until daybreak and then departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. And going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had, for he had arranged in taking himself to go by land. And then he met us at Asos. We took him on board and we went on to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and that day, and the day after, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Thank you. Thank you for reading for us, Sean. It's an, an interesting passage. Um, hopefully no one, none of you are sitting in windowsills or anything right now, um, and I promise not to go until midnight. So, uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's turn to the Lord. Let's ask for his help as we consider his word together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, these words breathed out by your spirit. Thank you for uh, just the, the, the encouragement that they are to us, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear them, help us to understand them and believe them and uh, to respond to you with, uh, with faith and obedience. And we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're now on the second week of our uh, series, going through Acts. We're starting um, in chapter 19, going through to the end. It's kind of the last leg of our journey through the book of Acts. And I mentioned last week that this section of Acts is something like a course in defensive driving. Now, I thought I'd Google what is defensive driving since I'd said that. And uh, the internet tells me um, it is a set of safe responses to potential hazards, including other drivers, uh, damaged road surfaces, debris, inclement weather, and more. Uh, here are a few defensive driving tips that I picked up in the same internet search. Um, always be prepared. Uh, focus on the task at hand. Uh, keep an eye on your surroundings. Uh, predict possible risks. Uh, keep a safe distance from others, uh, and watch out for blind spots, both yours and other people's. 
Now, as I read those things, I reflected that those are actually quite good life lessons in general, not just for uh, defensive driving, particularly that last one, watch out for blind spots. Uh, And in one sense, I think they're good tips for the Christian life in particular. Uh, Last week, as I said, we compared this series um, in Acts to a defensive driving course, Uh, because in the book of Acts, we see the gospel, the Christian message spreading from Jerusalem uh, to Judea and Samaria and then out to the ends of the earth. Uh, We could compare the book of Acts to uh, a travelogue, the the gospel road trip. Uh, And in chapters uh, chapters 19 through 28, at the end of the book, uh, we hit some very tough terrain. We could say the gospel is now off-roading. As the gospel heads towards Rome, the center of the then-known world, it encounters various hazards. Uh, The spiritual and even the political equivalent of other drivers damaged road surfaces, debris, and inclement weather. Uh, And the same is really true for us in our experience as believers. In our own lives, in our neighborhoods, um, the gospel road trip continues. Uh, The gospel is going forward, and uh, and as we seek to follow Jesus Christ in that, we also find ourselves hitting up against various hazards. Uh, And last week, we saw one of those hazards. Uh, We considered the challenge that came to Christianity by this riot that took place in the city of Ephesus. Uh, What that riot really showed us is this. There is this accusation that Christianity is bad for business, uh, that Christianity is in some sense an existential threat to the order and progress of our society. Uh, And what we saw actually in our text last week is that nothing could be further from the truth. Um, In reality, it is actually those who oppose the kingdom of Christ who pose a real threat to well-ordered society. And so this could be the, uh, the defensive driving tip from last week. Uh, last week we learned that we should drive confidently. That we should be sure of the goodness of the gospel that we preach. Uh, but this week we come to now another defensive driving tip. Uh, and this is a good one, and I hope that this one particularly sticks with you. Uh, and really the, the summary is in the title that I've given this message. Uh, don't drive alone. Uh, don't drive alone. As we face the rough terrain of the Christian life, we should never travel alone. We should always travel in partnership with our brothers and sisters. Uh, This is more than just a matter of safety in numbers. In fact, this is the way that God designed it to be. Uh, He's called us uh, to his mission together as his church. Uh, And in that, we need to be serving one another. We need to be supported by one another. uh, And we need to be doing all of those things in the strength that, that Jesus Christ the risen Lord has given us. In fact, those are our our three points today. Uh, This is what we learned from Acts chapter 20. Uh, When we hit rough terrain, we need to remember first uh, to be serving others, uh, be serving others. And then secondly, we learned that we need to be supported by others. Uh, That is, we also need them to be serving us. Uh, And thirdly, we learned that we need to be strengthened by Christ. Serve others, be supported by others, And in all of that, be strengthened by Christ. Uh, That is what I mean when I say never drive alone. Uh, We should look to one another for help, and we should ultimately rely on Christ, who will never leave us or forsake us. And so let's work through those three things. Firstly, let's consider how uh, we never drive alone by serving others. Uh, We need to be serving others. Specifically, we need to be mindful of the way that, that others might be discouraged or disheartened on their journey. 
As our brothers and sisters around us face various trials, we have to be thoughtful about them. Uh, With God's help, we need to lift our gaze above ourselves. Uh, We need to be willing to set aside our own plans so that we can dive in and help other people with their struggles. And I say that because of verses 1 through 6 in our passage. If you were here last week, maybe you remember this, that that on this final leg of the journey in Acts, Paul is on his way to Rome via the city of Jerusalem. Uh, And when you read his letter to the Romans, you discover that he actually wants to take the gospel well beyond Rome. Uh, Paul is committed to taking the gospel even further out into Europe. Uh, Paul is very ambitious for the spread of the gospel around the world. It's what Christ has called him to do. He is uh, the apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles. But here is what we discover in Acts chapter 20. While Paul is eager to get the gospel out further and further afield, Paul also has another important priority. On his way to Rome, he's got some very important business to do. Before he went to Rome, he actually goes back. He actually goes back to visit all of the other churches that he's planted in Turkey and in Greece and around those regions. Churches that he planted a few months or years earlier. Uh, now, when you take a road trip, it is always good to have a plan, isn't it? When maybe you have a road trip planned over the summer, um, you tend to map out some of the places that you want to visit on that kind of journey. Uh, and the places you pick reveal a lot about you. Uh, if you put on that list an aquarium, a science museum, the site of some historic war, uh, it, it says you're interested in those things. And likewise, if, if the Baseball Hall of Fame is on the list, it, that certainly tells you something about your priorities and your agenda. Well, in the same way, uh, from what seems to be a boring itinerary in verses 1 through 6, we actually discover what is important to the Apostle Paul. Uh, And this is what was important to him. Uh, Not just reaching the lost, as vital as that is, but Paul was also committed to loving and serving fellow believers, other Christians. Uh, Read what he does in the city of Ephesus before he leaves. Uh, These Christians, I mean, must have been a little bit disheartened by by the, the riot that we read about last week. And so what does he do? Look at verse 1. After the uproar ceased, uh, Paul sent for the disciples. Uh, And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed to Macedonia. And then we have to ask, what did he do in Macedonia? Well, look at verse 2. Verse 2 tells us that when he had gone through those regions, uh, seeing the sites and visiting museums, no, it it doesn't say that. Uh, It says when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, uh, he came to Greece. And in Greece, he settled down for for three months, uh, probably in Corinth. Uh, And what did he do while he was there? Well, we actually know from his other other correspondence, we know that during that time, Paul encouraged the church. In fact, his ministry in Corinth there extended well beyond Corinth itself because it was likely during this three-month stay that Paul wrote his his magnum opus, his epistle to the Romans. Uh, And we see the same thing even in verses 7 through 16. Uh, We'll come to this curious incident with Eutychus in a moment, but but for now, notice this. Paul uh, is in this city of Troas for seven days, and what is he doing while he's there? Is he taking some well-earned rest and relaxation? Well, he could have done that. Maybe he should have done that. Uh, He'd worked hard. He'd traveled a lot. He'd planted countless churches. Uh, But notice what he wants to do to make the most of the time while he's there. We read in verse 7, on the first day of the week when they had gathered together to break bread, uh, that is, they're there at church, what does Paul do there? Well, he he talks with them. He shares encouragement with them. Uh, And listen to this. It says, intending to depart the next day, he prolonged his speech until midnight. 
Uh, Paul knows that he's about to leave, and and so he doesn't want to waste a moment. Uh, Even if he knows he'll get complaints about preaching too long, he just couldn't pass up on this opportunity to to exhort and encourage these these fellow believers. Uh, And listen, what I'm suggesting is that all of this presents a kind of example to us. I mean, all of us are busy, aren't we? All of us, all of us in our church here have a lot of things going on. We have commitments at home, at work, even at church, or more widely in our community. And generally, we're busy with good things. In fact, some of us are busy with God things. That was certainly true of the Apostle Paul, taking the gospel to Rome. God had chosen him to bring the gospel to, to those who had never heard it. Uh, but, but even amid that call, notice what is important to Paul. Uh, he doesn't just put his head down and, and get on with the task. Uh, Paul certainly could have done this, but, but, it, but we never get the impression that Paul was particularly task-oriented, do we? And no, he made it his priority to serve. Uh, to serve those who were discouraged by their circumstances. Uh, to encourage people who were crushed by their own sins. Uh, people facing heartache because they suffered under the sins of other people. Christians who felt small and trapped because they swam against the tide. Christians who were discouraged because of a riot in their city. And listen, the point I'm making is this needs to be a priority for us, for me, for you. This is one of the things that I mean when I say don't drive alone. As you follow Christ, don't just, don't just plow on. No, you need to pull over once in a while. When you see a Christian discouraged, suffering, uh, even causing sin, stop. Uh, put aside your grand plans for a moment and, and sit with them for a while. In fact, like Paul planned to do this, uh, create a bit of slack in the schedule. Uh, make encouraging and serving other people, uh, other believers in particular, a priority for you. Uh, of course, by doing so, you're, you're not just following uh, Paul, you're actually following him as he follows Christ, aren't you? I mean, have you ever thought about this? Read one of the Gospels, gospels and, uh, and there's something you'll notice. Uh, what was on Jesus' mind as he, as he completes his greatest mission of all, as he goes to the cross for his people? Uh, we read that Jesus set his face like flint to Jerusalem. Yes, he was committed, uh, fully committed to that task, but all along the way, what did Jesus do? Uh, even though he was the one who was about to suffer, well, he actually spent all of that time, all of that journey, expending himself on encouraging uh, his disciples, and I think we could say his dumb disciples, at that as well. Uh, In his strength, uh, we can do the same thing. Uh, And I feel feel like there's even a a strange encouragement in this, that uh, we find as we lift our gaze to others, it it even encourages us within our own suffering. Even as we suffer ourselves, we can strive to serve other people. It, it, It actually lifts us from our own painful circumstances. It, it, it calls us into community as we love and serve others. And so then, this is the first point. Don't drive alone, but instead serve others. Uh, but secondly, it doesn't stop there. We shouldn't just serve others, but listen to this. Uh, we need to be humble enough to recognize that we need serving by others also. And so secondly, don't drive alone, but be supported by others. Be supported by others. Uh, That is, you need the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Let me say that again. Uh, To keep going and growing as a Christian, you need their help. Uh, It isn't an optional thing. And that is why, in Scripture, church is not really considered an optional extra for Christians. Uh, 
Without the love and support of the church family, you are frankly a danger to yourself. Uh, Never mind the fact that without their love and support, of course, you could never handle the onslaught of the world. Uh, And you certainly won't be able to serve Christ effectively. Uh, You certainly won't be able to serve as an effective witness. Uh, And yet it seems to me that culturally speaking, uh, what I've said seems pretty radical. Uh, I mean, surely faith, uh, faith is something that you're meant to keep to yourself. Uh, Faith is a personal thing. It's, It's something between you and Jesus. And in one sense, that is true, isn't it? I mean, if it isn't a personal thing, then perhaps you aren't even truly a Christian. It's a personal thing, but it has to be more than that. That's the point I'm making. It it has to be a corporate thing, a shared thing as well. Uh, When you come to Christ, uh, you begin to share his friends. Uh, When you're adopted into God's family, well, you find that you've inherited this collection of oddball brothers and sisters also. And God intends for you to rely on those brothers and sisters for support. I mean, think about the great Apostle Paul, probably one of the the wisest and most godly men who ever lived, apart from Christ. A man who made the gospel his priority. A man who, with a straight face, could, could look another believer in the eye and say, follow me as I follow Christ. If anyone could go it alone, surely it had to be him. And yet we find in our passage, Paul didn't go it alone. Everywhere he went, it turns out he constantly relied upon the help of other people. In verse 4, we see who some of those people were. Um, Sean did an excellent job of uh, reading some of these names for us. We have Sopater the Berean, the son of uh, Pyrrhus, who accompanied him. Now, there there are some names for those of you who are new parents. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and and Gaius and, uh, and Darby and and Timothy, and and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. Uh, They went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Uh, Now notice even the word us there. It's interesting, isn't it? Implying that Paul is uh, actually traveling with Luke, the author of Acts. And the point is, hardly ever did Paul go it alone on his journeys. Uh, And even when he he did only have one or two other people uh, with him, we find from his letters that that, in fact, grieved him. Uh, Now, it's possible that the people listed there in in verses 4 through 5 were there for a specific reason. Uh, Paul was taking an offering from the churches to the church in Rome, uh, and these may have been representatives of those various churches. Uh, But whatever the reason they're there, uh, first of all, we need to know this, that Paul didn't just have them carrying his bags. Uh, No, they are people who served alongside with him. And some of these are the same men mentioned elsewhere uh, and described as fellow workers for Christ. Uh, What is more, Paul sought encouragement from them. He relied on them for support, both practically and also spiritually. Uh, Now, I think this idea of mutual support is such an important thing, especially because we often think of discipleship uh, perhaps in terms of, of mentoring. We think of discipleship in terms of an older, wiser Christian taking a younger Christian under their wings. Uh, and, and, and there is a time, there is a place for that. But I have to say, in some sense, I'm, I'm actually not a huge fan of that model. Uh, for one, it, it, it's actually uh, something we rarely find in the Scriptures. Uh, instead, what we find is a commitment to mutual encouragement in Jesus Christ. Uh, We're called to encourage one another, not in some sort of hierarchy, but rather as fellow servants of the Lord Jesus. And if anyone exemplifies that, I think it has to be Paul. In fact, we even see this in verses 7 through 16. 
Uh, we read this and, and we think to ourselves, wow, that sermon must have been pretty long. I mean, we don't know when he got started, but to run to midnight and then to keep going on and on and on. And to be sure, I believe Paul preached. Uh, but when you look more closely, you find actually there's something more going on. In the verse here, we read that Paul talked with them. Uh, that word talk suggests there was a certain element of back and forth. Uh, Paul talked with them. He, he didn't just kind of keep going on until midnight talking at them. Uh, no, we read in verse 11, he conversed with them. Uh, and so I'd like to suggest that Paul may have gotten as much encouragement um, from this as they did from Paul. Uh, the point I'm making is that, that even as he served them, he needed their support. And if this is true of Paul, how much more is it true of us? Uh, do you think you can go it alone driving through the rough terrain of life? Of course not. Uh, the very suggestion would be arrogant, wouldn't it? Uh, and yet, let's be honest, some of us, I think, attempt this because if we are honest in our heart of hearts, we're quite proud. Uh, some of us uh, struggle with this more than others, I'm sure. Uh, we actually find it's not so much the first point that strikes us, because we give our lives to love and serve others. But rather, it's this second point where we really feel the rub. If we're honest, we are very reluctant. We're very reluctant to rely on other people. Some of us are very slow to ask for help, aren't we? Some of us are like the toddler. Some of you as parents have faced this. There's certain phrases that you find with toddlers. One of those phrases is, me do. Uh, trying to demonstrate their independence, uh, a newfound independence from their parents. Uh, that's often how we approach the Christian life, but uh, the truth is we aren't independent, are we? There is just no way we can possibly go it alone. Uh, as I've said, uh, on the rough terrain of the Christian life, uh, even to try to go it alone is frankly dangerous. And so don't drive alone. Serve others, yes, uh, but also be supported Look to other Christians for support, for encouragement uh, as you make that journey. Uh, and if you're new here today at West Valley, hopefully uh, that is support that you can find here in the church. Uh, and whether it's this church or another church, I encourage you to find that support somewhere. Uh, one of our big priorities as a church is to see people built in, as I mentioned, growing in community together. Uh, not just here on Sunday, but during the week through, through those various growth groups, as we call them. In fact, I'm going to remind you what a growth group is, unless you have forget, forgotten the definition. A growth group is a small gathering of Christians who are committed to moving people toward maturity in Christ. A growth group is a group of people you can serve as you explore God's Word together and pray together. And it's a group of people who can serve you, a place where you can seek support and encouragement from others. Uh, but whether you do that in some formal program or not, it's something we need to do uh, that's necessary for us as believers. And so then don't drive alone, but serve others and be supported by them. Uh, those are the first two things we learn uh, from what appears, I think, on the surface just to be a travel itinerary. Uh, but what about verses 7 through 16? What do we learn from that? Well, this is the final point. As we serve others and are supported by them, we need to be strengthened by Christ. We need to serve and be supported in the power that he gives us. In fact, we can only serve and only be supported through him and his strength. And that is what I believe this story of, uh, of Eutychus demonstrates. And now let's admit it's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? 
these verses are great, especially for, uh, for the kids who are now uh, in worship with us. And now, kids, you've made it through 20 minutes of me preaching, and you're doing pretty well, I think. Uh, and uh, as we come to this final point, maybe you're starting to get, get a little bit restless. In fact, some, maybe some of you, not just the kids, maybe the grown-ups too, have fallen asleep. If so, I should say, wake up! Okay, here you are, you're back. You're back amongst us. Uh, because you're going to want to hear this. But seriously, Paul, Paul was there in trust, speaking the word to the people, encouraged them, dialoguing perhaps with them. Uh, and listen to what happens. It's there in verse 8. Uh, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And you know what that means. This was before the days of electric lights. These are, these are oil lamps. And so it must have been getting pretty warm in that crowded room of Christians. Uh, and in verse 9, a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, a dangerous thing, um, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. I like that verse. Uh, he just kept going on. And on and on, and it makes sense. A long sermon, a warm room, a late night. Uh, try to pin your eyes open, but at some point he, he just couldn't hold consciousness any longer. Uh, and let's be honest, Eutychus probably wasn't the only one. It just happens that he was the one who was leaned up against a window. Uh, and then comes this shock. Uh, being overcome by sleep, we read in verse 9, he fell down from the third story. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, I mean, actually, we think it's kind of comedic, isn't it? But but this is a boy probably 11 and 12 years old or something like that. Uh, he'd been sat there with his family. Maybe his mum asks, Dad, I don't know, have you seen, have you seen Eutychus anywhere? Uh, no, he says. And then suddenly it dawns on them and he was sitting at the window. And now, it, again, it, I, it sort of, I've got mixed emotions here because it's on the one hand hilarious, but, but it's absolutely devastating. Uh, the fall turns out, we read, uh, to be fatal. And now, only once have I actually heard of someone falling down dead in church. This is a true story. Uh, you've got to believe me. Uh, someone in the middle of worship collapsed. It, it turned out to be a heart attack. Uh, and fortunately, in this particular case, uh, it was possible to resuscitate them. Uh, a third story fall, not so much. Uh, but this is the power that Jesus Christ displays amongst his people. In verse 10, we read that Paul went down and, and bent over him and taking him up in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Now, just to be clear, I don't think Paul's reassuring them, don't worry, I can feel a pulse. No, this really is a dramatic miracle. This young boy has been brought back to life. God has reversed his fatal fall, and by his grace, he's, he's brought him back to life. He's healed him. Uh, and it's an amazing miracle, isn't it? A, a display of the power of Christ. But I actually, I actually love what happens next because it's perhaps even more surprising. Uh, I can tell you what happened uh, in church after that heart attack. It, it certainly brought an end to the worship service. But not in Acts chapter 20. Look at what happens in verse 11. Uh, when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and had eaten, he conversed with them a while longer until daybreak and so departed. He just gets back to work discussing the word of God. And, and don't you love that? Don't you just kind of love church? Never allow a death and a miracle to interrupt church. You know, they just keep going. Now, what are we to make of that? How does this help us? Is there some principle that we can take from this? Well, yes, I believe there is. What is this miracle? Well, it's a demonstration of Jesus' power, isn't it? Uh, think about this, a small, persecuted church meeting uh, on this Sunday evening. 
You can imagine they might have felt a little discouraged by the onslaught of a non-Christian world. In all of the cities Paul visits, Christians faced pushback for their faith. Being a Christian was difficult. It's difficult today, but it was certainly difficult then in the ancient world. And on top of that, there is a constant stream of the usual discouragements in life. Sin, sickness, all of the other suffering that comes with living in this fallen world. And what does this incident do for them? Well, it reminds them of this. It reminds them that the almighty, uh, resurrected Christ is the one that they worship. Uh, That although they feel weak and small, uh, they serve one who can raise the dead. In fact, that's what he came to do. That's what he came to do ultimately for all people who trust him. Uh, They serve the one who himself came and died, who suffered death on their behalf, Uh, but one who didn't stay dead, one who is raised and now sits exalted in heaven. And what is more, this miracle shows Christ's commitment to the church, doesn't it? His commitment to love them and serve them. In fact, in some sense, Eutychus is a picture of the church itself. Amid the heat of persecution, of suffering, of pain, it's easy to drift from our focus on God and his word. And yet this is why we need the strength of Christ, isn't it? Even today. We need Jesus Christ to raise a dead and discouraged church. Uh, He uses powerful works to do that. Uh, I think we've even seen this in our church family. We've seen the way that God has powerfully worked to meet uh, individual needs, bringing healing, uh, bringing bringing strength, bringing help. Uh, We've seen the way that he's provided for us as a church, even the very fact that we're meeting now in this building. Uh, He has shown his power in your life. In fact, you may have missed it, but God has and will be at work. And yet this is the encouraging thing, I think, as well. The foundation of that hope isn't only in those works. No, it's in his word, his promises. And that is why even after this miracle happens, we find the service and the sermon continue. And as verse 12 says, they took the youth away alive and, uh, and were no, not a little comforted. Uh, comforted by what they had heard from God, what they had seen God do strengthened once again for another, another week on that Christian journey. And listen, this is what we need, isn't it? Uh, this is one of the main ways in which we don't drive alone. Sure, we serve each other. Yes, we, we're supported by each other. But in the midst of this, it's, it's the strength of Jesus Christ himself that sustains us. And in fact, this reminds us, doesn't it, that in that journey, he is actually the one who's driving the car. Uh, This is a mistake we make, isn't it? We like to see ourselves in the driver's seat, but in truth, uh, even the Apostle Paul, uh, even each one of us are really just his uh, beloved passengers. Uh, Jesus is driving the gospel out, out into the world. Uh, And he's driving his gospel deeper into our uh, lives, deeper into our hearts. And so as he does that, don't miss this, this foundational lesson in defensive driving. As you encounter the rough terrain of life, don't forget who is with you and never drive alone. Drive together. Serve others. Be supported by others. But do it all in the strength of Christ himself, our risen and exalted Savior. In fact, let's turn to him now in prayer. Let's ask for his help. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for, uh, for the encouragement of these words from Acts. Thank you, Acts. Thank you that you have, uh, as your people, brought us together. 
I thank you that we're here today to, to hear your word of encouragement. Thank you that we're here today because you've called us to encourage one another. Uh, Lord, we're here today as people who you have gifted to serve, uh, to speak a word of encouragement. And you have brought us here because you know many of us need the support, the encouragement of friends and brothers and sisters in the faith. And we're here today because you promise that as we gather in your name, you are with us. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be at work amongst us, even as we continue, as we come now to this your table. Lord, strengthen us in our fellowship together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.